Thank you. It's a blessing to be with you all this morning to worship together. I bring you greetings from the Elkhart Reformed Presbyterian Church. And as we gather in this uh, building, I'm reminded of the generosity of Second Reformed Presbyterian Church to our family over uh, 11 years ago, uh, allowing us to host the wedding of our first daughter, Avery, uh, here in this building. And it was a great blessing to have that opportunity. Well, as we come to the Word of God, uh, I would like to direct your attention to Luke chapter 7. We had the privilege of witnessing the sacrament this morning of baptism, and you saw the water trickling down Myra's face, and uh, by that water, you were reminded of uh, the central aspect of that sacrament, which is cleansing and uh, the forgiveness of sins, and that'll be a theme that we look at in our passage this morning from Luke chapter 7. We'll be uh, considering verses 36 through 50. And so I would ask that you give your attention as I read from God's holy word this morning. And may he uh, give us understanding of it. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? 
And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and apply it in our lives for his glory this morning. Have you ever received an unexpected, generous, even extravagant gift? And if you did, how did you react? Years ago, uh, we received a very significant financial gift. And it it was really overwhelming. Uh, Feelings of unworthiness, feelings of just being completely humbled by the generosity, feelings of deep gratitude and appreciation, feelings even of love for the the giver of that gift overflowed uh, in my heart. And really, one of the things that that gift did was to remind me of the magnitude of the, the greater gift that God has extended to me through His Son, the Lord Jesus. Well, as we look at our passage here this morning, I want us to focus on three essential elements in the Christian life. Faith, repentance, and love. Faith and repentance are God's gift to us in conversion. It's by God's grace that He awakens within us uh, conviction of sin, an awareness that we are sinners and the desire to turn from it and turn to Jesus and to trust in Him for our salvation. And the result is love. It flows out of this new born-again heart that has been washed free from all guilt, all the guilt of sin. This heart, this life that has received that indescribable gift of eternal life from the Lord God. So you see, love is an indicator. It's an indicator of the reality and the genuineness of our conversion. If there is no love in your life for God, and others for that matter, but for God, then you've not truly come to see your sin and to receive God's forgiveness by faith. As John expresses in his first letter, we love because He first loved us. And so I want you to think about this question this morning as we get into our passage. And the question is, how great is your love for Jesus? As we look at our passage, Jesus teaches us that the real evidence of forgiveness is the presence of love for Him in our lives. And I want you to notice five lessons in love from our Scripture text today. First of all, because of Christ's infinite love, no sin should keep us from Him. No sin should keep us from Him. How great is Jesus' love? Well, previously, if we back up a few verses in verse 34, Jesus repeats the false accusation that was being circulated by the Jews against him. He was considered, we read there, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. 
Now, while Jesus was not gluttonous or a drunkard, he was a friend of sinners. He welcomed them. He ate with them. He ministered to them. And his love is seen not only in the fact that he ate with people of poor reputation, but also by the fact that he dined with this proud, self-righteous Pharisee. We don't know what motivated Simon uh, to invite Jesus for dinner. Maybe he wanted to examine Jesus to find out if he truly was a prophet. Maybe he had a, a more sinister motive. He was going to try to entrap Jesus or find some reason that he could accuse him. Nevertheless, Jesus accepts his invitation. And he comes to his house for dinner. And he doesn't shun this man whom he knew was unfriendly to him. Jesus was concerned for Simon's soul as well. Well, Jesus' love is especially revealed by his response to an uninvited guest. As Jesus sat at the table of Simon, there was a woman from the town who entered the house. She was a woman of bad reputation in the city, perhaps a prostitute. Houses in that time were open and they were airy because of the hot climate and it was easy to enter the house. And it was actually acceptable for uninvited needy guests to join a dinner party and to eat some of the leftovers. They could sit sit along the wall uh, and observe the meal. Sometimes they would even join in the conversation. But a woman who was known as a sinner would not have been welcome in the home of uh, a strict Pharisee. And this really shows her courage and her deep love for Jesus, whose teaching had apparently impacted her life dramatically, uh, for she must have trusted in him for the forgiveness of her sins as a result. And her gesture in this setting is stunning, isn't it? Think about the context. Uh, When a dinner was held, the normal posture of the dinner guests was to recline at the table. So they would recline on their left side. Their legs would kind of be bent backwards. Their sandals would have been taken off, so they were barefooted. Their right hand would be left free so that they could uh, grasp the food and eat as they reclined at the table. And this is the way Jesus was reclining as the woman entered the house, entered the room. But she did not stay on the perimeter of the room. She came over to anoint Jesus' feet with this costly perfume. However, she became overcome with emotion. And her tears began to stream down her face and they began to drip on the feet of Jesus. And she was embarrassed by that. And she she knelt down and she quickly began to wipe them with her hair before she began to then uh, kiss his feet as well and anoint them with this costly perfume. Well, obviously these actions were socially unacceptable. And yet they showed the deep reverence and love of this woman for Jesus. 
Notice that Jesus does not tell her to get away. He doesn't tell her to stop doing what she's doing, but he mercifully receives this amazing, amazing gesture. And that's the way he accepts us. As we come to him in all of our sinfulness, with repentance hearts, we find his mercy is far greater than all of our sins. And that's really hard for us to fathom, is it not? When our eyes are open to the greatness of our sin through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, isn't it hard for us to grasp how God could love us like this? And yet His arms are open to penitent sinners who come to Him in faith. Amazingly, Jesus in the Gospel graciously invites guilt-ridden sinners to come to Him. We have that invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when we come to Him in faith with repentant hearts, what is the wonderful promise? His blood cleanses us from all sin. And so we see this great love of Jesus on display. But secondly, love motivates us to exercise our faith, to express our faith in Jesus. Love motivates us to express our faith in Jesus. It took great courage for this woman to show her love for Jesus. She was a woman of bad reputation. Yet she entered the house of a Pharisee. She approached an honored guest and teacher touching his feet. She let down her hair in public, which was unbecoming in that day. She expressed the most humble form of affection, kissing and anointing Jesus' feet. But in doing this, she was professing her faith in Jesus as her Savior and Lord. She was confessing her genuine sorrow for her sins, which were many. She was expressing also her deep love for Jesus, through whom she had been saved from those sins. Well, that same love should motivate us in our worship and our witness for Christ. Think about it. As forgiven sinners, are we not deeply moved to worship our precious Lord and Savior? As we gather here on this Lord's Day morning, Are we not moved to adore Him, to bow before Him, to thank Him, to offer up to Him extravagant praise? And the Psalms lead us in expressions of this love. Psalm 18, I love You, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord, my rock, my fort, My power. Psalm 45. 
God, or I sing. My heart is greatly stirred. I sing a noble song. My tongue's a skillful writer's pen to speak about the king. And Psalm 108, God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing praises, and with all my being to my song, I'll, to you my song I'll sing. You see, the psalmist is overflowing with this love for God that expresses itself in praise, and we have the psalms to guide us in that. When we contemplate God's greatness and His goodness as our Savior in forgiving all of our sins, are we not moved to worship Him? And furthermore, after all Jesus has done for us, are we not willing to do anything for Him? The Apostle Paul speaks of this kind of motivation in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ compels us. He was moved by the love of Christ to testify to the world of the love of God through the gospel. Are we not as well? Christ's sacrificial love for Paul, his love for Jesus, drove him onward in his missionary ministry. And think about the nature of that ministry. He was willing to endure all kinds of ridicule and persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that will be the case in our own lives when our hearts are filled with affection for our Savior. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That was what was happening in the life of this woman. She was so filled with love for her Savior, she didn't care about what was socially acceptable. She went to express her love for Jesus. And we as well will be overflowing with love and desirous of worshiping Him and witnessing for Him. Well, that leads us to the third principle I want you to see from our our passage. Out of love, Jesus defends repentant sinners against all who condemn them. He defends repentant sinners against all who condemn them. And this is seen in Jesus' response to the thoughts, to the thoughts of Simon. I'm sure that... uh, As this woman expressed her love for Jesus, you could just cut the tension in that room with a knife. I mean, this was an awkward moment, to say the least. Simon didn't say anything, but he was thinking. The wheels were turning in his head. And this act, to him as a Pharisee, was revolting. Verse 39 records his thoughts, which follow this line of reasoning. If Jesus were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. If he realized her bad reputation, he would not let her touch him. And since he does, he is no prophet, regardless of what all the people are saying. And that was referenced earlier in the the chapter. But Jesus reveals that he really is a prophet by addressing Simon's thoughts. It says in the scriptures that Jesus answered him. Though he said nothing, 
And he, does, he answers Simon by telling a parable. Two debtors were forgiven significant debts. A denarius was one day's wage for an ordinary laborer. And 50 denarii then would be a little less than two months' wages. 500 denarii would have been a little less than two years' wages. And so he asked Simon, which would love the money lender more? Jesus' question brings a reluctant response from Simon. And he expresses his reluctance as he says, I suppose the one who forgave him more. Jesus assures him that he has indeed answered correctly. But in this brief interaction, Jesus turns the table on Simon and shows him that it is really his love for God that is in question. Jesus' response reminds us of how he defends us before God in heaven against those who would accuse Romans 8, 33 and 34 asks the question, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. See, when we come to Jesus with humble and repentant hearts, we know that we will never be separated from His love. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our defense. He is our advocate before the Father. And clothed in His righteousness, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He defends His redeemed. Fourthly, as we look at the passage, we see that our love for Christ is evidence of our forgiveness. It's evidence of our forgiveness. After Simon's correct response, Jesus applies this parable, and he uses three telling actions to show how much the woman loved him in contrast to Simon. When we have guests into our homes... We extend common courtesies to them. If you have someone into your home, you take their coat and you uh, shake hands with them. You offer them a seat. Maybe you offer them something to drink. Common courtesies. Well, there were common courtesies in that particular time as well. And Simon had not shown those courtesies. He had not provided the customary water to wash Jesus' feet or a towel to dry them. But the woman had washed them with with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon did not greet Jesus with the customary kiss, but the woman continually kissed the feet of Jesus. Simon did not provide even common olive oil to anoint Jesus' head. But the woman anointed his feet with this costly perfume that she had brought. And what did all of this reveal? But it it revealed the woman's deep love for Jesus. Her heart 
was overflowing with gratitude toward Jesus for removing that great burden of guilt that she was under. And it wasn't that her love caused Jesus' forgiveness. Her love was the effect. It was the result of His forgiveness, which she had received by faith. All of her sins had been washed away. She had become whiter than snow in the eyes of God. She was set free from sin's penalty and power, and therefore she was overwhelmed with this gratitude in her heart and and this love for Jesus. And that's the question that we need to consider. Do you have that kind of love? Is your heart overflowing? Is it flooded with this kind of great love for your Savior, Jesus Christ, as you consider His forgiveness? Jesus shows us His constant love and care in our lives with small glimpses at times, meeting us in times of need in special ways. Sometimes in our despair, as we face difficulties, we think He's forgotten us. But He always loves us. He always loves us. And He gives us glimpses of that love. A number of years ago, I was burdened with ministry concerns, lying awake at night, praying. The next day, I got a phone call. It was a surprise phone call because it was from a guy that I had graduated with from Fort Hayes State University 15, really, really more than 15 years before. And I had not heard from him since graduation. But he called and he explained how he had been praying that morning. And the Lord had led him to call me and to share something that God had put on his heart. He was not a believer when we were together in school. But he said that the Lord had used some of the things that I had said and some things that a couple of other friends had said to influence him to receive Christ. And he had become a Christian a couple of years after our graduation. Well, that was a tremendous encouragement for me to hear that testimony. And his phone call was not an accident. I was praying to the same Jesus that he was praying to. And the Lord Jesus led him to call me, to minister to me in a time when I was feeling low. It was orchestrated by Jesus. And he was showing his care and love for me, one of his lowly servants. But it was a reminder of the greater love that he had shown me. He had, gave his, he had given his life for me. He continues to intercede for me at the right hand of the Father. And he uses his servants to minister encouragement in times of difficulty. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. Everlasting. He saved us. He cares for us. He keeps us. We really can't grasp the magnitude of His love for us. But do we love Him? When we take Christ's forgiveness lightly, it also means we're taking our sin lightly. 
The lesson here is that the one who understands how great the debt of sin is, that, that has been forgiven them, will love much. That's what Jesus says. But those who don't recognize this, love little. Simon was still blind to his sin. We don't know what happened after this occasion, but at this point in his life, he was blind to his sin, and therefore he did not love Jesus at all. Our love for Christ will grow in proportion to our sense of sin and appreciation of the forgiveness of our Savior. And when we come to have the attitude of Paul, who saw himself as the chief of sinners, we will also be filled to overflowing with love for Jesus who loved us and gave His life for us. Well, that brings us to the fifth principle I want you to see from our passage, and that is the assurance of Jesus' loving forgiveness gives peace. The assurance of Jesus' forgiveness gives peace. Jesus concludes with a a gracious declaration. At last, He speaks to the woman. He hasn't spoken to her yet. He's been speaking to Simon, but not to the woman. And now He turns to her and He says, Your sins have been forgiven. And how that must have reassured her. It isn't that she hadn't already understood this to some degree. Her purpose in coming to Jesus with that bottle of expensive perfume was to express her gratitude to Him for forgiving her sins. But now Jesus assures her that although her past sins are great, and although the religious leaders of the the day look down on her, She is forgiven. She is held in the loving arms of her heavenly Father as His adopted child. His mercy covered her sins so that they condemn her no longer. Now, the people object to Jesus' claim to forgive sins. But He restates His declaration there in verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, it was by faith that this woman received the gift of salvation. She believed in Jesus, the Messiah. She trusted Him alone as her means for atonement. And the result for her was peace. And that's what Romans 5.1 describes for all who believe in Jesus, isn't it? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament commentator William Hendrickson writes, This peace is the smile of God reflected in the heart of the redeemed sinner, a shelter in the storm, a hiding place in the cleft of the rock, and under his wings. It's the rainbow around the throne whence issue flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. See, this is the peace that you and I have through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus promises this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world 
gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And so I conclude with the question that I began with. How great is your love for Jesus? Because of His love, no sin should keep you from coming to Jesus for forgiveness. Love for Him should motivate you to express your faith in Jesus through worship and witness. And out of love, Jesus will defend you against all who condemn. Your love for Christ is the evidence of His forgiveness in your life. And the assurance of Jesus' loving forgiveness gives you lasting peace. May He fill us with an even deeper love for Him as we contemplate His atoning sacrifice for us and a love that grows and expresses itself increasingly in faithful and enduring service for His glorious name. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we consider this amazing and very tender passage recorded in the Scriptures, we are led to reflect once again on Your great love for us in, in Jesus Christ. And we're amazed at that love, the love that you have shown us, that you've lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, the apostle says. And so we thank you and we praise your name. But Father, we also confess this morning as we evaluate our hearts that we struggle with a lack of love, with uh, complacency, with coolness of heart, with pride, with self-righteousness, Father, forgive us of these sins that dampen our love for Jesus and renew within us a love that grows and overflows uh, increasingly as we contemplate his love for us. Help us to love you more and more and to express it in our worship and our witness and all for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.